When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer. I'm joined by Kiefer McDonald and Sean Bradbury today to talk the Reds. And we're back remote, boys. We're um, we're out the coffee shop. No free coffees today, but um, Sean, you've got a juice, and Kiefer, you've got your yourself set up there on your phone, I suppose. What have you got? You got yourself a refreshment. I have only a bottle of water today. Um, so no, it's not as great as a coffee shop, not the, the love locks that we've been used to over the last couple of weeks. No. But talking about the Reds back in action, I'm sure that will that will make up for it nicely. Yeah, and Sean, how are you doing? This, I'm good. And this won't do much for our listeners on audio, but it, if you're watching on YouTube, it looks like Keith is almost in a bit of a straight jacket there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter yeah. style. I'm not going to see his hands. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, that's better yeah. now. Yeah, he's, he's been released from the asylum. Uh, well. The Reds are back in action. Officially made their start to the season this week, so um, actually plenty to, to talk about. Kiva, we'll start with you. Um, a decent showing then, um, on, on the whole. Four goals, um, a victory. Um, some players looking sharp, others maybe less so. But um, just a quick one. What did, what did you make of it then um, on Wednesday night? I mean, it's always difficult, isn't it, that I think the first game of pre-season is, as I think I said to Sean in the office on Wednesday, that it feels because of the new signings that there was plenty of excitement. But, you know, in years gone by, maybe when Liverpool haven't done the business so early, I don't think you know, too many eyes would have been on, you know, what was happening, you know, over in Germany. I think people usually like to, to use the month of June and July to, to almost switch off from, from football altogether. Um, but, you know, seeing Dominic Sabozlein in Liverpool shape for the first time in, in the first half was, was really pleasing. Obviously, you've got the element of seeing this new system that we kind of saw in the last, you know, 10 weeks of the previous campaign. And then you've got Alexis McAllister thrown in there in the second half. Um, and then obviously all, all the youngsters who who come through. So there was plenty to take, and to kind of assess it, I, I kind of looked back earlier today of like last season, uh, last preseason, and how that kind of went. And obviously the first game uh, was out in in Singapore, wasn't it, against Manchester United? They lost lost four nil in whatever trophy that was over there. And uh, obviously at the set, at the time, no one took took much into that. You know, nobody was kind of predicting that Liverpool would have uh, had as, as tough a, tough as a campaign as they did just did have. But I think when you look at it, you know, the thing that always stuck with me was that Nunes miss at the end and kind of how that got, you know, blown up massively and the way Haaland then went on to to do so well for City and, and people were kind of using that Community Shield game to, to almost tee them up against each other. But I feel like now you look at it, there's so much to take from, from Wednesday. You know, all the lads, just the forwards got their goals. You know, Nunes is, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what he was doing for the first goal, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I, that probably just summed up Darwin Nunes' first 12 months in a Liverpool shirt. But, you know, he gets his first goal as Liverpool's new number nine, which is, yes, it's an unofficial goal. You know, it won't, won't be one that, you know, we look back at the end of the season with, with much, you know, fondness. But the fact that he's kind of already got that off his back and, you know, the same goes for Gakpo kind of continuing his strong second half to, well, the strong 2023 that he's had since moving to Liverpool. Um, that was really pleasing. And then you've got Jota who, you know, gets an assist, doesn't he, for the for Gakpo's goal, uh, and then gets you know two brilliant goals towards the end. And I think, you know, was, then you throw Trent into there in his new midfield role. Okay, it might be slightly different to what we saw him, you know, slightly deeper role, isn't it, to what we saw him at the back end of last season? But just in terms of like ticking things off, it was just almost perfect. You know, even if they had lost, you know, three two or drawn three three, I would still be sitting here not with like bags of optimism, but just saying, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you, and you can only kind of tick off on the list what's in front of you. You know, we're still none the wiser of how Liverpool will line up at Chelsea, you know, in, in three weeks' time. But we can kind of see the progression and kind of, 
no, no this breath of fresh air that is surrounding Liverpool. I suppose the, the only caveat to that really is what's going on with Jordan Henderson and, and that kind of noise around there and, and with Fabinho as well, that, that shock departure. I mean, if you were to look at that game in isolation on Wednesday and just ignore the outside noise, you know, either side of the game, it was it was perfect on paper. So, you know, if they can build on that now and, and one way or another, these lads kind of decide what they're doing with their futures. It gives Liverpool, I think, a, a really... Yeah, it'll be a challenging couple of weeks, you know, to get players through the door. Um, but it's promising. Um, so you know, as, as I said, as much as you can take from Wednesday night, you know, I was I was pretty pleased with it. Well, well Sean, there's one area of the team that that looks pretty set going into the start of the season. Maybe not in terms of who lines up in the front three, but but certainly in terms of players looking sharp, looking dangerous, looking probably Liverpool's strongest area of the pitch. Um, what did you make of the, the front three on Wednesday night? Nunes obviously getting that. Just I just thought it was a brilliant goal. Um, I can't can't believe for the life of me that he that he passed it um, when he did. Um, but but still managed to find a tap in. Uh, Salah just looked sharp. Was involved. Gakpo looks so clever, doesn't he? He looks like Firmino's heir apparent. And then Jota getting a couple of goals. Maybe Luis Diaz probably the one that, that, that struggled a little bit, but Ben Doak also impressed and, and Diaz is still coming back from a long-term injury. So what did, what did you make of them? Uh, and just as an aside to that, what, what would be your suspicion as the front three going into the Chelsea game on, on the first day of the season? Oof, well, I'll, I'll come to that one. That's a tough one. I'll have to get, get the cogs wearing to, to think of that one. But yeah, no, in, in terms of, the, of this game, it's, it's always nice to just see all the forwards involved. And like you say, maybe Diaz would have liked... A little bit more time, and, and that will come. There's plenty more preseason games to come. He'll, I'm sure he'll, he'll get his moments to shine. But yeah, with Nunes getting a goal and Gakpo, I thought was Gakpo would be the one who particularly impressed me. If I'm honest, just his, his, his general play. I thought there was a sense last season after a start where you know it looked like he was taking a little bit of time to, to get going and get his feet under the table. Like I, I think there's a player there we, we've all seen, and he essentially kept Nunes out the team at the back end of last season, didn't he? Albeit there, was, there were a couple of little injury niggles for Nunes. I think there's a player there who could be Firmino plus just the fact that, you know, he looks now so competent and so natural as a kind of false nine, um, you know, in, in the centre, which he'd done a little bit of, but not a lot of before he arrived. The fact that he can be there and operate in those spaces and then drift out wide. You know, I, I didn't think I'd be saying this, you know, we just had the emotional send off for Firmino, but I, I think that plan, that succession plan is one thing that could, potentially define, you know, this, this next area of Klopp if they get it right. And it just looks like they will. He's just, he's just a class act on the ball, isn't he? You know, he's, um, there's, there's a little compilation, little two-minute compilation doing ones of him after the game. And just the way he receives it, creates space between the lines. And the, the spin, the spin for the goal and the finish itself, I just thought was fantastic. And then, yeah, Jota, as you mentioned, just just great to see him doing what he did. We, me and Keeper, as, as Keeper said before, we were in the office and we were waxing lyrical about him and, I think we both agreed he's I think he's Liverpool's most natural finisher. And the fact that he can well, like like his goals, one was from the left, one was from the right, you know, and, and that's the thing that's been his hallmark, hasn't it? At Liverpool so far, he can score with his left, he can score with his right, he can score with his head. Either side of the box, he's a threat. Um, so yeah, and and Salah as well, you know, got his assist, didn't he? Which was was a very, very unlikely one because there's no yeah. no way that ball should have been anywhere near him, it should have been in the back of the net already. But yeah, it looks good, looks sharp, and hopefully I think he was one of the players who was particularly unlocked by the, the 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 formation change. Not that he was having a bad season, but it really elevated him. And th- when Trent's on that side with him, and it, you know further forward, and there's there's players running towards Trent to try and get the ball off him because he's such a you know creative hub now. It opens up the door for Salah even more. So yeah, I think we'll we'll, we'll see more of that this season. But the Chelsea question, ah, well, I think you've just got to start with with Gakpo and Salah. A definite, you know, I think they're. They're just they're just key men in this Liverpool team and system now, and then it's 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 a three way battle really, isn't it, for who starts on the left? But the disadvantage for Jota is I think he's better in the middle. Yeah. Um, so I would at this juncture right now, maybe perhaps just with you know where the where the players are, I'd maybe say Nunes left, Gakpo middle, Salah right. But yeah, there's there's just there's just a big argument and, and a great argument for who's the main man on the left and and who puts pressure on Gakpo in the middle as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit early to have that conversation, but Dory and I were talking about it last night, so I thought I'd throw it at you. It's, it's a funny one with, with Jota, because I agree, I think he's a good finisher, he scores goals with either foot, his head, he's got the ability to, to pop up in the right place, but I very rarely pick him in my starting lineup, and and, and I think 
that's slightly harsh, but I always feel like that when there's a, you know, when the game's a bit stretched, when chances are opening up at the, get, at the end, to bring Jota off the bench is just such a weapon for Liverpool. Kiva, who would you look at as your your starting front front three? Would would Jota make it in there at the moment, or or is the the chaos that Nunes brings just a little bit more tempting? Or would you stick with Diaz? I mean, let's not let's not forget Diaz, who on his day is brilliant and all right. Didn't score in this one friendly, but you wouldn't put it past him scoring in the next one and, and pick it up from there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think the thing that makes it really difficult is I don't think anyone knows what to expect from Chelsea. You know, they've undergone such changes this summer, haven't they? Obviously, a new manager um, and, you know, a massive overhaul of players. So it's not like we can sit here now and be like, you know, this is Chelsea's definite style of play. You know, under Tuchel, it was more of like with wing backs and you're maybe looking to do like an overload from midfield. But with, with Chelsea now, you know, does, does Pochettino go uh, with, with, the same, uh, with, with the same blueprint that he had at Tottenham? Um, you know, who knows? In terms of in Jota, I completely agree with what you say, Joe. I think, you know, I think he's, I said to Sean, he's Liverpool's best finisher by a mile. And, and the two finishers that I would use for examples are, there's one against Spurs um, in April, the, the, mm, the finish. 96-minute finish it was. Mm. Brilliant finish from a difficult angle, but the composure to take a touch, not to snatch at it, just to let it kind of run across his body and almost sell the defender. I think, you know, and Nunes maybe would have cut inside or maybe not trusted his left foot. I'm not sure what Diaz would have done. Maybe Salah would have finished it. Who knows? But just in terms of being like such a, a brilliant finisher, brilliant. He's the best that Liverpool have. But then I suppose the thing is, you're judging them on now is because they're so, they're all so good in that final third. Is what do they? What else do they bring to the table? And if you're looking at them as them as complete footballers, it's, it's Cody Gakpo at the minute, as as Sean says. He's you know Firmino 2.0, which you know is is such a compliment given what Firmino achieved over the last you know eight years at Liverpool. Um, I would think at the minute, if if the game was tomorrow, and obviously all you know, fitness, you know, they sound. I would I would go Salah on the right, Gakpo down the middle, and I'd I'd probably just go Diaz. I I feel like he needs unleashing, and you know he hasn't had a full season at Liverpool yet. Um, obviously was out for most of last season with 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 the injuries. Um, and I'm just hoping now that he can really use his preseason to build up. Um, and then you can you know just let him go because last season I think you know for the first. I don't know, five or six weeks before he got injured at Arsenal. I mean, he just like a different player. That those kind of bursting runs into the box. I always remember at Fulham on the opening day, you know, Liverpool were dire, but he took it past two players and then I think he hit the woodwork. I think it was offside anyway, but he just kind of feels like he's ready to explode. And obviously it's hard to judge now because he's had so long out and there's obviously all the, the nature of like knee injuries. Will he be the same player as he lost a bit of pace? But I think he just needs to kind of have that platform now to to go out and, and you know, show everyone you know, that he's the Luis Diaz of, you know, that impact that he made, um, you know, during the quadruple chase. Um, but I suppose that the, the the good thing for Liverpool now is there is, you know, serious options off the bench. You talk about if you need a goal, Jota, you know, someone, I always, I was writing something earlier about Jota and you know, the fact he scored 21 goals and didn't start in a Champions League final is absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And on, I think any other night against any other goalkeeper apart from Courtois, you know, he probably bagged himself two goals and Liverpool win the European Cup. And he's a hero, and you know that's that's your story. But obviously, it didn't go that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's a brilliant player, and, and as Sean says, maybe he's got a bit of a disservice because he can go on the left as well. So that maybe that that um, versatility maybe maybe plays against him. You know, you look at Gakpo. I know he played on the left at PSV, but for Liverpool now, in terms of bringing other players into the game, you're looking at you're not looking at him in the wide positions. You're thinking he's our number nine. He's a big lad. He can you know bring others into play. But with Jota, I think you know if you were struggling, you know, last twenty minutes or you needed. You know, someone just to chase bodies and close down again. You would throw Jota on on the left. You'd have no hesitations about it. But as I say, you know, it's it's so promising that Liverpool have you know five quality forwards, four quality forwards that they can you know now go in uh, go into the season with and and hopefully challenge on all fronts. Yeah, just on Gakpo, I find it almost. I don't think enough has been made of the fact that Liverpool have found a fairly natural replacement for Roberto Firmino, who was such a let's face it, a peculiar player, um, that false nine for Liverpool who. Seem to knit together the the other two wingers Salah and Mane and 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 do it so well and and Gakpo to come in as you say he sort of played in that position before but well it wasn't his natural position but to come in and, and assume that role is just um it's it's nothing short of extraordinary I don't think so I, I think um I think Liverpool have done really really well in the transfer market there you know to get him at a decent price as well at a time when fees are so high to get him ahead of other clubs um. 
And let's face it, you know, when when they got Gakpo, we were pretty much all sitting around saying, why are they buying a forward? They need a midfielder. Um, but they wouldn't want to be looking for a forward in this summer market, would they? You know, look, look at the problems Man United are having, look at the problems other clubs are having, find the forward. But Liverpool just uh, managed to, to swoop in and get him at Christmas. So it was a really what, good deal. Sorry to jump in, but I think that's what yeah. makes the, the, the kind of departures of Henderson and Fabinho so annoying. Yeah. I feel like now there's, you know, such a trust that I know obviously it's Julian Ward who who kind of initiated the Gakpo signing. Obviously, he's no longer at the club, but it felt like the, the, the kind of long-term planning was there. And that's obviously ideally what they would have wanted to do with the midfield, you know, bring someone in and, you know, have six or 12 months under, you know, the stewardship of whoever's place they were, you know, looking to take. Obviously, in the, in the case, that was Firmino and Gakpo. And by the end of that season, obviously, I know Firmino gets the goal the goals against Villa, doesn't he? And, and so Southampton, but he was he was well out of the side, wasn't he? And I think everyone mm-hmm. was happy in hindsight, even though at the time when I think he announced his contract, everyone was like, oh, we could do it in for another 12 months. But, I think when, when that final also went to St Mary's on the last day of the season, I think everyone was like, you know what, I'm, I'm fairly competent with him going because, you know, look at the ladder we've got here. And I just think, you, you know, you, you trusted them to have a plan, as you say, Joe. No one at the time thought we needed another forward. It was just like you were targeting the complete wrong area. Um, and, you know, if they maybe had another year with Fabinho, especially, you, you think they, you'd back them to pull something similar off, if that, you know, if that would be a, a Lavia or a Decore from Palace or whoever's, you know, getting, yeah. getting linked with the move to Liverpool. But yeah, it's just a shame that it's now... You know, they're not going to have that kind of grace period, are they? Yeah, well, it, it is interesting. I think everyone's been distracted by midfield issues that that deal has sort of gone on under the radar. It, not just Liverpool fans, but wider football-wise. You know, you look at United now, they're really struggling to find a, a forward that they think is worth the money, you know, obviously after the lad at Atalanta. But, I mean, what was he, 38 million, Gakpo? Um, you know, just really, really good price for um, what looks like a really good player. And just on Ben Doak... Um, would you both keep him around? I'd be tempted to. You know, I think again, he, he he offers. He's almost like a bit of a throwback, though, isn't he? In the way that he plays, a bit of a just a tricky winger. Sean, would you would you keep him around as just another option um, to come off the bench, especially in the Europa League as well? One hundred percent. And um, Klopp was was uh, really good. I thought after the game, Doyle and a couple of others who were over there got a bit of time with the manager and asked them about the youngsters. And you know, I think we saw. Six or maybe seven of them, or depending on you know whether you count Bradley and others, um, st- still amongst that group. And he, he just he cannot help but almost give the game away about Doak whenever he speaks about him because he said something like you know he was just the manager was going through each one and saying what they all did well in the game, which which was which was totally legitimate because I think in, in their own way they all played pretty well. And and but Doak, yeah, he, he he was just like oh my god, Ben Doak. <laughs> he just um he, he can't help but be enthused about this player and and. He's like that. I think whatever level Bendoke eventually ends up at, he will be an edge of the seat player. Only really. that's just that's just he exudes that. He's so direct with his running. And uh, this season, and I've said this already about um, Saboslai. I think there could be a point in January when Salah goes to Afcon where maybe he pops in on the right. But you know what? Uh, um, it could well be Doke by that point yeah. if if he, as you say. If he sticks around, if he gets opportunities in the Europa League, which you know, why, why wouldn't you give him a run out in certain games? You know, even if it's not from the start, if the draw is kind to Liverpool and they have the odd match sewn up by sixty, give him half an hour and see what he can do. But he's he's a different type of player, as well, isn't he? Off the right, he's you know a, a winger who maybe would look to go around players rather than come inside like Salah. So it it could be a different option in the squad. But yeah, as young as he is, and you know, you you absolutely do not want to overhype players. But when one has got that level of direct threat, that level of trickery and just that level of kind of young confidence, you know, good arrogance and mm-hmm. clearly at the back of the manager. I, I don't think you can kind of keep a lid on it for too long. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just moving on, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kiefer played in midfield. I mean, when I first saw the lineup, I kind of just thought it was needs must. And, you know, with, with Henderson sitting out um, late notice and Fabinho not traveling at all to Germany, I, I looked at it and just thought, well, you know, who else is Klopp going to throw in there? But do you think there's more at play? Do you think there's perhaps Klopp planning to eventually move Trent into midfield um, and play him there? I know, I know it's something you've written a piece about spoilers for uh, anyone who's listens to this pod before your piece goes online. But yeah, it's something that you've you've written a longer piece about today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's obviously difficult to tell because it. I was the kind of same as you, Joe. I very much felt that the manager's hand was forced because for the last eight weeks of the season, as we said, Trent was you know, on that kind of right side of midfield, wasn't he? But I think if you always look at the position Trent, pick, Trent picks up, you know, he likes to take the ball off the, off the centre-half, whether that be Canate or, or the right-back. Um, 
so that's kind of the, the, the positions of like a natural number six, if you like, you know, if he is in a two man or whatever. I, the, my only concern about it would be if, if he was to do it in a four, three, three, I think it's a lot of ground for Trent mm-hmm. to cover because obviously he naturally does kind of vacate that right hand space, doesn't he? You know, he, he likes to link up with, as we saw the other night, Bradley and then, you know, Salah as well. Um, so that would be my only concern from a, like a positional aspect. But I think in terms of, you know, everything else that you're looking at as a, you know, as a defensive midfielder, okay, he might not have the stature of Fabinho, but he makes up for it in other kind of, uh, in, in other departments. He has, I think his passing obviously is far better than Fabinho. I think that goes without saying. Um, I think obviously he has, he has the legs. I don't think Fabinho ever really had. I always felt with Fabinho that he was, he, he felt quick because he was two steps ahead in his head. He was just such an intelligent player. He was never naturally... Obviously, he's an athlete, but, you know, he was never quick over 100 yards, 10 yards, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I suppose it is interesting, but it's hard to say now, isn't it? Because Henderson's not there. If Henderson, you know, did 45 there, maybe the shape would have changed completely. But I also wonder if he's looking at it with Connor Bradley and thinking, well, you know, this lad's done so well at Bolton. Um, obviously, I know that was only in League One. He could go and do a championship loan, but you've almost got someone who, if you're looking at, you know, a modern-day fullback, Connor Bradley. I mean, the numbers he put up at Bolton last year were, were incredible, not only, you know, output, but also in terms of, you know, durability. I think he played over 50 games in all competitions, which, you know, as a young player, that shouldn't be, you know, ignored, um, you know, when your body's developing and, and, and so on. Um, so I wonder if he's looked at that and thought, you know, he likes to look at Connor Bradley, what he's doing. Um, you know, is this a way maybe to get him in? But it just feels like with Trent, you could you could literally play him anywhere. I think as a children the other day, you could play him in goal and he would, he would run the game. That's how good of a footballer he is. And I think... When, when you have a player like that, yes, there obviously are positions and spaces you want to get him in, but naturally the ball will always find it, the way it's, its way to Trent Alexander-Arnold's feet. So, you know, if that's something that Liverpool are looking at to do for the opening day of the season, I mean, the turnaround now, something which I've said in this piece is, you know, three and a half weeks until Chelsea. And, you know, Liverpool concluded the and say, at best in the next week for another number six that is an awfully quick turnaround to, to then say to someone go and start at Chelsea you know you might, you're not going to have a lot of the ball there maybe you're going to be back to the wall performance for a lot of it I, I just think that's an enormous ask so I, I would be surprised if Trent doesn't start in the holding at, at Chelsea I'll be quite honest um, I mean I could be like a fool now if, if they go out and get you know someone of a Thiago like profile as we said the other day Joe and you know he just slots straight in but you know you look at the fees being being kind of quoted for for the core who's had one season of Premier League experience. I mean, to find someone who ticks all those boxes would be, you know, cost Liverpool an absolute huge yeah. Um So it does maybe look like they are going to have to maybe do the short-term solution in-house, you know, talking about that gardening kind of period where Fabinho would still be there. Maybe they do that in-house with, with a trend and, and kind of split the game time like that. And then they get, you know, a Lavia or someone of that profile who, you know, long-term can take the mantle. And then, but I just think with with Sabazla and McAllister kind of in the two number eights, it makes sense then to have Trent, does it not? Because where would if Trent's in that kind of inverted role, doesn't he does he not take up that space that Sabazla and McAllister would be having anyway in those kind of half spaces? So I mean there is plenty to go at and I think obviously like we say it's, it's very hard to cast judgment at the minute given all the kind of external circumstances and noise at Liverpool. But you know, certainly if he's lining up at Stamford Bridge in, in two and a half, three weeks, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. On one hand, Sean, you know, I'm fascinated to see Trent play a bit more often in a in a permanent midfield role. But on the other hand, do you think, I think if they if they are going to play him there, do you, do you think that they they certainly need to buy a new right back? I, I get what Kiefer said about Conor Bradley, but I still think to go into a full season with Conor Bradley as your main right back is, well, I think it's just asking for trouble, and that's not that's not something against Conor Bradley. That is just. He's a he's a young lad, um, and and two, uh, do you lose something in the sense of what Liverpool gained towards the end of last season with Trent in that hybrid role? Do you, do you lose that if you move him permanently into midfield? Will he find the same type of space? Yeah, I'm I'm all in on on the hybrid, and it, and it's kind of exactly for that reason. I mean, to be honest, when the team news dropped the other day for for the friendly, I I think a lot of, a lot of us, you know, us in the office, we were discussing it on Twitter. We're thinking, okay, well, he's having a look at Trent as a six in in a three here. Because um, I think it was a Trent Sabozlai and Bobby Clark, wasn't it? But then it ended up being, well, it was all a little bit surprising, wasn't it? Because Trent was where Fabinho normally is. Bradley was doing the, effectively doing the hybrid, the inverted fullback. Clark was kind of the right side of the attacking eight, wasn't he? And, and Sabozlai was on the left. So it, it all surprised me slightly. But 
yeah, I, I think this, this idea of where Trent ends up, I, I think where he was last season is is the best place for him right now because it, it it obviously got him out of the funk he was in, wasn't it? It wasn't working for Liverpool for a, a whole host of reasons, which we discussed endlessly last season, and it certainly wasn't working for Trent at right back as it was. But my thing is, if you if you add him as a pure number six in a three, not only are there some concerns as Keith outlined before about the amount of work he'd have to do and ground he'd have to cover, whether that's his natural game. I just think you lose out a little bit on the Trent, the best of Trent that we have seen when he runs games from right back and basically dominates that channel along with, you know, well, at Liverpool's pomp, it was him and Salah lightening up and Henderson or someone doing the dirty work for them, wasn't it? And, and it worked so well. And we all know what his right foot can do and the whip he can get on the ball. And, and my thing would be if, if he's deeper, it's almost you, you're keeping him on a leash. Don't get me wrong. He, he could control games if he was the, the, the furthest man back. But I think you'd lose a little bit of the essence of the best Trent that we've seen. Um, I've got a mate who, who has got this beautiful vision of of him as a pillo, basically as a as a you know a, a, the, the deepest man in a diamond with two industrious eights and a, and a and a kind of technical ten ahead of him. And and I'm I'm partly sold on it, but but I do think you know he's he's just not a man you want to keep on a leash. And and I do think it was interesting that. I, as you lads hinted at, I think, yeah, it was out of necessity that he played in that Fabinho spot because obviously you had no Fabinho, you had no Jordan Henderson. Uh, Besetic still feeling his way back into things, isn't he? But I think they were probably having a look at Bradley for the almost like the, the deputy inverted fullback role, you know, because um, I think the one concern, well, there's lots of concerns now, isn't there? Especially given what's happened with the lads who are seemingly off to Saudi Arabia. But the one concern for me, if you wind the clock back two or three weeks ago, which seems like a lifetime ago, was what happens in this new system when Trent is unavailable or needs to be rested. And if Bradley can possibly, you know, occupy that role for a handful of games a season and, and do a bit in the Europa as well, like we were saying earlier about other youngsters, I think it could be useful. But yeah, I I think that was. I don't. I'm, I could well be wrong. You know, maybe he's thinking of Trent as a as a as a lone six or a, on that left sided role. And maybe maybe that could be the case for Chelsea, depending on who comes in. But yeah, I think the majority of time we'll see him will be where he ended last season and where he looks so good. In this beautiful vision of your friends, does does Trent grow a, a very handsome beard and and grow his hair out a little bit as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sit, sit yeah. Up espressos, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really nice vision. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to hear more from your friend. We'll have, we'll have to get him on the pod. Or here. You know what? He'd love it. Yeah. Would he love uh, it? Yeah. Like the invite. Give him a shout out. No, not giving him a shout out. No. Oh, Phil. Yeah, Phil. Yeah, I Phil. Just Phil on, yeah. yeah, we'll give Phil yeah, a little shout out there. Get on the pod, Phil. Um, yeah, I mean, other. other Players to impress Alexis McAllister Kiefer um got a little assist for um for Jota's second goal. Um so Bosley also played, he started in the first half. I suppose unfair to say not as impressive, but maybe uh, maybe slightly tired. He did tell Doyley and a couple of others after the game that he's never had three training sessions in one day and um has been putting the, the hard yards in and training. But well Alexis McAllister certainly looked like he, he was able to link up with the, the front three. Yeah, absolutely. It was really promising. As I said, there's only, you know, it is worth noting they are the second division side in the Bundesliga too, aren't they? So, you know, it's it's not it's not the levels that they're going to be coming up against on a weekly basis. But as I say, you can only beat what's in front of you. And I mean, Chelsea beat Wrexham the other night, which is the fifth tier of English football. So, you know, that kind of goes to show that, you know, it's it's just all about getting minutes in the legs, isn't it? And, and, and getting people used to kind of patterns of play and Jota was obviously quite glowing in his kind of assessment of McAllister after the game, wasn't he? And, you know, potentially just said, like, these players, you know, they're so tricky, they're so talented, they'll always find you wherever you are. And we saw that for the, for the last goal, you know, a lovely little through ball and Jota finished as coolly. So, you know, as you say, Sabazan maybe didn't catch the headlines as, as much, but I think, you know, if there's one of, I mean, prior to the last kind of two weeks with the whole Saudi Arabia talk, I think if there was one you were going to kind of start at Stamford Bridge, it always felt like it was going to be McAllister. I mean, my vision was always going to be McAllister, Henderson and Fabinho and, you know, Trent doing that kind of inverted role, as we said. But obviously that kind of the game has changed now with, with the two lads potentially leaving. So, but yeah, I feel that's a buzz like will be a, a big step up. Um, you know, I mean, obviously he played in Austria and he played in the Bundesliga, which, you know, a fine leagues, but it's not the Premier League and not the intensity. And not to sound like a snobble there or anything, because I still think from McAllister it will be a huge step up from, you know, even just the, the amount of time you have on, on the ball at a Brighton compared to a Liverpool. I mean, yes, he, I know he's won the World Cup with Argentina, but it is a, it is a massive step up. Um, but you'd imagine that kind of intensity and um, 
the, maybe the off the ball stuff is going to be a lot easier for him because he will have done the dirty side of that, you know, playing against Brighton for for large parts of his kind of three years there. Brighton were were an underdog team, not as if not what they were last season. So, yeah, it will be interesting, but you know, I won't be judging them against each other at the moment. I mean, the you know the boss, he's done the due diligence on both, and they're two fine players, and it it kind of looks set now that if you look at the profile of midfielders. Um, you know, McAllister and Sabozlai are two that I would probably say like the first out and out creative midfielders Liverpool have had since Coutinho has been at the club. And you know, if you're a, no wonder Jota was smiling because if you're a Jota or a Gakpo or a Nunes, mm. that is just going to, you know, surely boost the amount of chances, passes, and you know, goals you're going to get a season, a game. So, you know, it is, it is really exciting. It does feel like a kind of a new era, but as I say, if they can just kind of sort the base of that midfield out, you know, maybe just be a bit more at ease. It just feels like there's a bit. You know, it's getting a bit too close to the first game of the season and this, you know, massive um, kind of massive question mark is hanging over. But I think once that's in play, you can start to maybe look look and think, right, we've got this lad here and then we've got, you know, McAllister and Sabozak, you two ways. I think then that's when the kind of the full picture will start to look a bit more rosy. All right, well, Sean, final word on the game. Um, just want to open it up. I know we've, we've touched on Doak there, but just on some of the the youngsters that, that impressed you, Bobby Clark, he started, of course, and, and several others, kind of Bradley, was invo- were involved. Um, anyone that particularly impressed you? Anyone that, that, that you're going to keep an eye on? Yeah, I said, I said, Doak was the um, was the main eye catcher, but you know, part of that is inherently from his from his position, isn't it? Um, you know, he, when he gets on the ball, he can't help but light it up. Yeah, I thought Clark did well first half as well, and and like I said before, that was almost in. A position that looked a little bit surprising to me. I thought he'd be on the left, but he he looked he looked quite strong. He looked like you know again you can't make a, a firm judgment based on. Didn't on Klopp this say he, sorry? Didn't Klopp say he'd shot up or something like that? I'm pretty sure I read quotes yeah, from Klopp I, saying he'd shot up in preseason. Yeah, and, and you, not you just know, in preseason. That would be quite weird. But <laughs> yeah, rapid growth. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, though, yeah, I thought he was good. But to be honest, all all, all other guys who came on, you know, I thought. Um, McConnell looked all right, Scanlon as well, and 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 again, you know, whether this is, I don't think this is purposeful testing from the manager in terms of throwing them into different positions, but because of the things that we've said about midfield chopping and changing, and after a successful first instalment of the summer rebuild, like having to basically rebuild again potentially, you know, lads are getting thrown into positions that they don't normally play for in the in the 18s or the 21s, but just as, as a group, I, I thought they did really well, and that's why I, I thought. Klopp's, Klopp's effusive praise of them. And and I think the first words he said were, you know, all of the youngsters did yeah. well. Yeah. I, I totally agree with. So, yeah, I hope that in the games to come, they, they, they get more chances because they deserve them. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, well, there's always there's always a youngster, I think, that, that sort of that sort of almost announces themselves in pre-season. Certainly under Klopp, you know, I remember several. I always remember Nat Phillips doing that and, and several others just sort of coming out and, and really um, showing Klopp what, the, what they're made of in pre-season. So it'd be interesting. Uh, Bobby Clark, obviously, starting that first game was good and kind of, kind of Bradley as well. So we'll see what happens. Moving on, um, Kiefer, again, you know, there, there isn't a great deal new to say, but Jordan Henderson obviously pulling out the squad or, or certainly not being involved in the squad um, before the game. That transfer seems to be edging closer now, doesn't it? You'd be you'd be surprised with Nikifer if he doesn't end up making a move to, to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I think I think it's gone past the point now where I think yesterday, well, Wednesday night, obviously, firstly not being included in in the squad was a was a massive red flag if you want. And then obviously yesterday he went home, didn't he? Back to Merseyside to, to kind of mull over this, you know, the the proposal on an offer from El Etifak. So yeah, I think I think. You know, now for, for probably all parties, even though it's not the way anyone would have wanted it to end, I feel like it probably has to happen because I don't see how Jordan Henderson comes back from this. Um, you know, let alone as the captain of Liverpool Football Club, you know, almost turning your back on this rebuild after kind of speaking and and putting all those videos out on social media. You know, ready for the fight kind of thing. I, I just think, I mean, I said to Sean the other day, if it didn't go through, he'd surely have to sit down and do a TV interview or, you know, certainly certainly an interview with external media to, to almost uh, to, to kind of lay out his position and paint the picture that, that he got from it. Because, you know, he could have, obviously we know that the movie is obviously close now, um, but, you know, if it doesn't fall through, it very much seems like it's going to be something on the Etifax side with, you know, finances or, or whatever. Um because if it was something to do with the, the player and maybe his camp, you know, he surely would have shut that down a long time ago. 
you know weeks ago when it kind of first emerged and i mean you don't you don't leave the tour you know midway in what midway through the first week if, if that's what you if you you know if you're planning to stay at the clubs i think i think it's a real shame and you know for all the reasons I'm, i know a few of the lads have mentioned on the pod a few weeks ago but i just think now it's, it's probably best for for liverpool to to kind of you know get it done and get it done quickly and then you know we can see that obviously a the fallout from you know Henderson's side of it in terms of you know how it plays out, but but also Liverpool can move on and kind of get you know new lads through the door in time for for the new season. Yeah, Sean. I mean, I mean we, we've spoken about it um, on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, and we, we've we've given our quite blunt views on it, I suppose. Um, and now I just want to wait and see what he's got to say for himself and and explain why he um, he fancies or he did fancy us. Little part of me still thinks he might end up staying in some sort of strange U-turn, and, but I, but I think we'd we'd need an explanation, wouldn't we, as to why he does or doesn't um, take this move? I mean, I don't know whether you've had a chance to to give any of your thoughts on it. I thought I'd give you the opportunity. Um, obviously, I understand if you if you'd rather wait or rather not. But yeah, where do you stand? No, I think you know it's almost helpful already to have the conversations, and I know in some ways, like you say, you know. It, is it harsh to judge him on a decision that hasn't already been been made? But I, I think it's all out there now, isn't it? And and a, and a U-turn would be unexpected. Um, even though I do, th- I wonder whether the player and, and his camper having a look at some of the reactions, thinking, "Well, you know, is this worth it?" Um, but you know, the fact that the overtures have been considered and progressed to this point, where Liverpool have you know accepted a bid, I, I can't see it. I can't see it turning around now. What my, my main view on it is, I think if you remove. If you remove this situation from football and if you just consider anyone who said the things that he has said so articulately, so eloquently about standing shoulder to shoulder with, you know, the LGBT plus community, you cannot then go to work and live in, in Saudi Arabia. I don't think and not not as it is now and not the way that people are treated over there. You know, fans or friends or family of his, you know, anyone who was, who was openly gay couldn't go and see him play football over there and be open about it themselves, could they? Because, you know, it is, it is deemed illegal over there. So... My, my take on it is, you know, those those things are absolute non-negotiable rights. You know, anyone who wants to live their life that way, they, they should be absolutely entitled to. It's not, I don't see that as like, and somewhere that clamps down on that, I don't think that's a political expression that is that is fair. And, you know, somewhere that just does it differently. I, I don't think you can make that argument. I, I suppose Henderson might think at this point, um, he's become the lightning rod of criticism for all this. And, you know, there are other players who've gone there. There's other players connected to Liverpool who've gone there and, you know, to some extent, I think a spotlight should go on them as well. You know, Gerard Fowler, obviously Firmino had his, had his fanfare and his farewell, and then he's gone over there. Mane is, is linked, isn't he, with a move? Yeah. But I, I just think Henderson, he he seemed so different. He acted differently, he spoke differently. He offered support to that community. And to a lot of people that elevated him as a captain, as a person. And, and it's not often, is it, that a footballer, um, I was going to say an athlete, but I think, you know, in some of the sports you do get it, they're a bit more kind of open and, and accommodating and welcoming to, to different communities, perhaps. But it's not often you get a top flight Premier League footballer who will come out and say the things he said. You know, he was seen as an ally for good reason. There's not many. I can't really think of many more. Connor Cody would be another one who I think has, 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 has done good work in that regard. So I do think it needs to be talked about and he does need to be criticised and be, be you know, be prepared to be criticised even more if the move goes through. You know, he has set such high standards and be rightly been rightly praised for it that I think if you're on the cusp of doing something that undermines, if not completely unwinds all of that work, then you've got a cop for it, haven't you? And two more elements to, to it to it for me. One, I think we've touched on a little bit from from the Liverpool perspective, and you know, this feels a bit cheap and maybe even almost hypocritical to be talking about like going back to the football after talking about that. But you know, this I think this has caught the club by surprise, hasn't it? And you know what he's doing potentially, and obviously Fabino as well going. Uh, what you know that that it does seem like we'll have to have a second regrouping of the transfer window, and you know plans might change again. And I think quite a few of us were hoping for maybe one midfielder, perhaps two, but a centre back as well. And like there doesn't seem to have been much talk about that of late. So you know it feels like it's all hands to the pump in terms of preparing the midfield again. Um, and yeah, the, the, my only other thing that I've just kind of been mulling over on Henderson is this: it's just it would just be a shame, wouldn't it, if this is the way that a Liverpool captain left the club? Like for for a minute on Wednesday, I was genuinely thinking, are we going to get a Cheng Tosin style halftime announcement here? You know, will, will Liverpool's captain leave at halftime of a of a preseason friendly? You know, because um, obviously there was news breaking, like Doyle literally wrote a piece in the ground while he was covering the game about Henderson's future. 
so yeah, for 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 me, for a leader and a legend like like Henderson, he's been both those things. You know, he, he there's a lot there's a lot he's done at Liverpool that you cannot take away. But to to kind of almost sneak out the back door in in this manner, if that's what happens, you know, it, it's it's an exit that just doesn't feel or sit right for a variety of reasons. And one of them is you know not only his status as a as a spokesperson for very important things, but his status as a in in Liverpool history. And you know, I think there's there would be an element to which that 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 was tarnished. So um yeah, I don't I don't see I don't see a good way that it ends. Um but but I do I do think it will end pretty soon now. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah well sent Sean spot on spot on. Um we'll um we'll move on to just a quick discussion on um any potential replacements. There's been a, a fair few new names I suppose not new ones but but ones that have maybe come back around, as the rumour mill tends to do, um, linked with Liverpool. Um, Marco Verratti, um, in the last couple of days, let keep uh, mentioning his name. Obviously, Czech Decore from from Crystal Palace. I don't really think we've we've discussed him on the pod. Um, Nicola Barella um, is is back in the news. Um, the Inter Milan midfielder and Joshua Kimmich from from um, <clears throat> Bayern Munich. Kiefer, um, any of the, those names stick out to you? Anything? Anyone? That you find interesting, anyone that you think that Liverpool should go after, or what? What are your thoughts on any of them? I like the idea of Kimmich. Uh, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how feasible it will be. I mean, reading some of the kind of stuff in in Kicker, the the German publication earlier this week, it sounds like obviously this is Thomas Tuchel's first uh, first preseason with the squad. It sounds like he's he's doing a massive overhaul. I think um, Kimmich, Goretzka, obviously Mane looks like he's heading to Saudi Arabia. It sounds like you know he's kind of dismantling that squad, if you like. Um, I think Kimmich is a smart one. Whether there is actually any genuine interest obviously would remain to be seen. I mean, normally you'd probably say it goes against FSG's policy of, you know, what is he, 28, 29 now? Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the wrong side of 25. Um, but I think a player, you know, you're looking at who could do two positions. I think that might be something Liverpool need to look at in the in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, it would be a, a difficult task and also a pricey one now. I think, you know, if Liverpool... Are doing the ring round and you know inquiring about you know centre back, central midfielders, you know deputy right backs, whatever it is, you know people are going to know that their kind of uh, their wallets have been boosted by you know an extra 50, 60 million quid. So that obviously makes the um, the, the challenge of recruiting at a reasonable price. And not that Liverpool or any club in the Premier League, I think, cares about price anymore. I think the Declan Rice transfer and, you know, the Enzo Fernandes transfer kind of shows that transfer fees are irrelevant. It's what they are worth to the club or the selling club. And I think that's completely fair. Um, but I think, you know, you could do worse than getting in. I mean, obviously, we saw Benjamin Pavard was linked at the, the start of the, the, the summer window, wasn't he? And I think the Athletic said that he's, you know, maybe heading to Man City. But he's another one who, you know, talk about centre-back, you could, you could maybe see that there being... Someone who could maybe do that deputy Trent role, but also centre half. Mm. Um, image obviously similar can can play centre half as well, can play right back, can play midfield, and I just think it might take because this has taken Liverpool, you know, so much by surprise. It might almost take you know a few people banging their heads together and think, right, we just have to pull off something, you know, a bit a bit left field, you know, someone who necessarily isn't. We're not going to maybe get the uh, the return on our investment in two or three years time as as kind of FSG like to do, um, but you know, maybe someone who. I mean, I'm not sure what kind of wages Kimmich would be on, but I'd imagine it's probably north of 175, you know, probably in the £200,000 region. You might have to just go big, you know, get them on a big contract and say, look, you're going to be like my, as we said the other day, Joe, like a Thiago S signing where you just come in and you know they can do the job. You, you know they're proven in the Champions League and those kind of big, big games. And I think that's what Liverpool might have to, to look at, but certainly looking at someone who can maybe do one or two positions because, I mean, I was looking at it the other day. It feels like there was just such a, it feels like there's no natural central defensive midfielders anymore. I mean, it feels like there's such a, a rarity. Obviously, Rodri's at City, isn't he? Uh, Fernandez is at Chelsea. Declan Rice is at Arsenal. Casado's probably going to go to Chelsea. I mean, if you're looking at the, the kind of aside from Newcastle, the next year's top six, you know, they've all got a big, big name, you know, number six. And whilst we've obviously spoke about Trent could maybe do that role, I just think a natural statement number six is. Is what Liverpool is what they need, and you know, no disrespect to a, a Lavia or a Calvin Phillips or a Florentino Luiz or those kind of players who have been linked with Liverpool, but also for them as well, would they want to be learning on the job at, at Liverpool? I mean, it's a, an incredibly difficult task. We saw with Fabinho how long it took him to adapt. I think you know, it wasn't probably until 
probably about January, February 2019, when he finally got into that groove of, you know, really, you know, being Liverpool's out and out number six, and people were looking at him thinking, yeah, he, you know, he's the man. Um, so I think it would, it would might take something a bit left field. I mean, the links with that check to Corey, I mean, I can't say I've seen too much of him, but he feels like the first. Um, I mean, obviously, Calvin Phillips aside, given his kind of injury record last season, but he feels like the first naturally, uh, the, sorry, Premier League proven midfielder that has been linked with Liverpool this summer. And obviously, he's he's big bucks, but I mean, part of that will be kind of Palace's side. It, the, the Crystal Palace putting out, you know, he's, he's stuck for sale for 70, 70, 80 million in the hope that they might get 50, you know, 50 million back for a player they paid 20 million for last year. But I think if you are looking at that, you know, kind of price, I just don't see why you wouldn't go for, you know, a Casado or maybe just push, push the boat out and, you know, go into that kind of next bracket of, of number sixes. But the, I mean, the problem even with Casado, I mean, I'm talking myself out of him here now already, is that the sample size is so small. I mean, he's only been in the Prem for two years. I think he's played, you know, 50, 60 Premier League games, which, okay, is a, a decent amount. But I mean, how many players have burst onto the scene within, you know, a year and 18 months and and they're not that same player. It's, it, I mean, I always think of Danny Drinkwater and it's obviously completely different, but how good he was at Leicester and he, he went to Chelsea and picked up 30 million. He was in the England squad at the time and, and couldn't get a kick on the Conte. And I think his contract only expired actually last summer or this summer, in fact. And, you know, he was on, you know, 150,000 a week for six years and, you know, they couldn't loan him out. Well, certainly a club couldn't take his wages. And I just think, you know, Liverpool don't like to tend, tend, don't tend to operate like that, but they might have to. They, they might just have to go out and, and and kind of weigh it up and just think, right, we've got to, we've just we've we've got to take a hit. But I think if you are taking a hit, I would I would much rather take it on a Kimmich or someone who's you know maybe been there and, and done that, um, and maybe got the medals to, to kind of show for it. Because you think when Thiago came in, the, the kind of fanfare around him, I always say he was the biggest sign in Liverpool made in my lifetime, and and purely just because of where he was at, he just won the Champions League. Um, he, was, he was so good for Bayern. I think they won seven or eight Bundesliga in a row. Uh, instrumental, you know, a Barcelona academy graduate. Kind of have him rocking up at Anfield, regardless of his injury issues. I think was a bit like, wow, you know, this is this is Liverpool acting like Premier League champions here. You know, flexing their muscle. And obviously that season didn't go to plan for for a number of reasons. But it would be nice to kind of see Liverpool go out there and and maybe repeat that again. Sean, um, I think one thing that the Kiefer says there that the sort of. I certainly agree with not not the only thing, but, but one thing that I certainly agree with is that I don't really get this. I see a lot of like Liverpool link with X, Y, or Z, and then this almost like disclaimer that but but they'll be expensive. And, and I'm starting to see it more and more. It's starting to irritate me more and more because I think you can't sell a Fabinho and a, and a Jordan Henderson and then look around for someone cheap. You that that's just not going to happen, you know. And and the names that they're being linked with, if they want someone that is experienced, that that can come in and play immediately like Fabinho and Henderson are and can, then they have to pay big money. And, you know, and even the younger ones, like a Caicedo, like, like Kiefer mentioned, Dr. Corey, you know, you're talking at like 60, 70 million bracket, but that's the price you pay for a 21 year old with, with plenty of years ahead of them, or you pay that sort of money for a Barella, a 25 year old with, with experience. So, is it not a case of Liverpool just having to bite the bullet now? They're, they're making some bold decisions in terms of the outgoings. Aren't they going to have to put their money where their mouth is and, and buy a big player to, to come back in? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the position they've been put in by just how this window's panned out. As we've said, I think this second element of the of the midfield rebuild was at least, in terms of Fabinho and Henderson, I would say at least one player beyond what Liverpool thought they'd be, they'd be dealing with. You know, I think if one of... We've been debating this for a while, haven't we? Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago, if one of those was to go this summer, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing and then to get replaced. But now that it looks like two of them are going, I think, and the fact that they're going to Saudi Arabia and the figures are already kind of widely known and, and the, the outgoings are happening before the incomings in, in this respect in the kind of defensive rung of Liverpool's midfield, all of that puts a bit of a premium on teams who might sell to Liverpool because they've seen Liverpool's situation and desperation grow and play out in front of them, if you like. But I, I think I think you're right in your conclusion about they're just going to have to bite the bullet. And and I think Kiefer's right about it, 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 the sample size is, is a thing that for a lot of the targets at the moment, it's I think it just it just leads to the conclusion that Liverpool are going to have to take a punt on someone. Because I just looked then, because I was thinking, yeah, Caicedo hasn't played that much. 45 Premier League games. So, you know, he played virtually every game last season and eight, 37 and then eight the season before. So, you know, it's not a lot. And, and it's the same for the core Okay, Palace player of the season. You know, all the fans rave about him, say he's really good. Profiles very, very similarly to Fabinho, which, which would be interesting. But 
you know, again, it's not a lot of games and it's the figures being touted are significant. You know, we've seen talk of 70, 80 million. Even Lavia, albeit he's one of the ones where, you know, there's this idea of bringing in someone who's who's younger as a long-term project and someone who's ready to go now. He, he would be the younger one, but it's not a lot of Premier League games either. I think he's only played something like 29 in, in, in the season. He's just had in the top flight. So, I, I think they're going to have to roll the dice a little bit. Um, I agree with Keith on Kimmich. I think the idea of him, if he was doable and available, um, is is a really interesting one for, for the versatility points, you know, being able to play at right back, to do the hybrid, to play more of an orthodox midfield role if Liverpool do go that way at points this this season. But also just from a leadership point of view, you know, he's, he is somewhere, one of you guys said, he's, he's been there and he's done that and he's done that nationally for, the, for his club. You know, getting someone of his standing into the dressing room along with, well, I was going to say McAllister, who's a younger lad. He's also won the World Cup, which, you know, isn't bad. And and Sabozlai, who captains his, his country, would be would be a real boost. So, yeah, I'd, I would, ideal world. And I, and I do think, for as much as I've just said they need to spend, I think a lot of this will be determined by price, won't it? Because, you know, especially if you're looking for two players, you can't spend 80 million twice. But if they could get, today a Kimmich-type, you know, someone, an older head who you would back to, to get to grips with the league quite quickly and would be versatile and useful. And then someone like... A Decore, a Lavia, maybe even an Amrabat, someone, you know, well, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a touch older than those other guys. But, um, yeah, someone of that ilk. Caicedo as well. I, I would love to think they'd go out there and just go all on in, in on him and see if there's any way they can get in between him and Chelsea. But don't know. It does, does appear to be heading in that direction, doesn't it? So, yeah, very, very interesting. I think Liverpool, Liverpool and York Schmacker are having to do things they wouldn't have thought they would need to do. But um, they need to do them. Right, nice one, Sean. We'll, we'll leave it there. We'll be back, I think, on Tuesday because Liverpool play on Monday as Barnes closed doors. We'll be covering that game against, um, I think I'm going to butcher another foreign name here, but Greta, Greta Firth. Is that is that if there's any German? I don't know. Either you got a German GCSE or German A level? No, no. Oh, we did French in my school, so that's my excuse. Anyway, Liverpool play Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday to react to that game and potentially talk any more transfers. See you then. Ta-ra. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.